morning. You that? If you need a Bible, raise your hand and if you have to give you one. If you need a Bible, to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Saturday, May the 6th, which is for men only, unfortunately. Saturday, May 6th, we're going to have a men's breakfast here. Probably a lot. We're going to have it in the lobby. We're having it here. So Saturday, May the 6th at like, uh, what time? 8 in the morning. So whatever you got planned that day, you can get out and come eat breakfast with us. Steve Nance, won't you say that to me? Because I'm going to be me. <laughs> So, Saturday, May 6th, you'd like to come to that breakfast. Steve would like to know he's in charge, and he doesn't want to eat all that food. That's one of our rules that you bring all this food. It's cooked, and somebody has to eat it, and we think Steve ought to eat it, so he ain't having it. So, Saturday, May 6th, if you would like to be part of that breakfast, you can come and take your seat to know. So, he knows enough of his food to buy. He'll be out in the lobby afterwards, and you can see him. And, uh, Get signed up in the next couple of weeks, and we'd love to have you. It's a great time. Talk about discipleship and getting our men's ministry kicked off. And, and the Lord said, Steve, to leave that, we're, we're thrilled about it. So, Saturday, May 6th. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. What we're going to do, the end of the day, shortly, we're going to share the Lord's Supper together. I'm going to do it once a month. And every now and then, I like to just kind of share what that means and what things we want to do this week and next week. Is look at the historical context in which the Lord's Supper was instituted. How it came about, what was going on. Obviously, we know some of that, and we know a lot of it. But I think it's a good reminder, it certainly is a good reminder for me, as I was going through and reading and studying and preparing and praying about uh, last Sunday, our Easter Sunday, and then celebrating, obviously, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things I kept coming back to was the Last Supper and in the upper room and all that was going on and all that Jesus was doing. It's, it's very poignant what was happening in that room that night as he prepares to go to the cross and die for the sins of mankind as the sinless Lamb of God. And so literally what we celebrate at Easter, we mentioned this last week, what we celebrate at Easter as Christians is not Easter. That's uh, a pagan term that the church adopted because of the spring festival. Not necessarily going to all that again. But what we're celebrating as Christians is Passover. That's the significance of the moment. That's the significance of that time in history. That that is everything in history looks forward to that moment, the crucifixion, resurrection of the Lamb of God. Everything in history looks back to that moment because without the Passover, without the ensuing resurrection, without that, we have no hope. We have no reason to go on. We have no hope of the future. We have no hope beyond the grave. But now Christ is risen. We celebrate on 
at Easter, our Passover. So a logical follow-up to that is to look at some of the things that were going on in the upper room, specifically as Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. We're going to specifically look at that moment next week. What we're going to do today is kind of look at the Passover symbolically and historically in the sense of what does it really mean to us. So the Last Supper. We all know the term. We've seen the pictures. We've had Bible stories. We've probably taught lessons on it or heard sermons on it. But I want us to focus in on the idea of the Lord's Supper and later as we celebrate it. Not just because we celebrate it once a month. Some people celebrate it every week. Some people celebrate it once a quarter. It doesn't matter how often you celebrate it as the group. It's something that you're doing. But in reality in, reality in our lives as believers in the Christ, we should celebrate the body and the blood of Jesus Christ every day, moment by moment. It is our reason for existence. It is why we have joy, why we look forward to getting up tomorrow and we look forward to today. What is it God is going to allow us to do? Because David quoted for us earlier, God loved us so much, he sent his son who was the Lamb of God. When John the Baptist first saw Jesus, what did he say? Behold the Lamb of God, who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. And obviously a Jewish reference. What's so fascinating about understanding Passover is realizing what it means that he was the Passover Lamb. For example, some people celebrate the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, they call it the Eucharist. Pretending on what tradition you, you came from. You may have celebrated the Eucharist. That word simply means giving a thanks. What are you giving thanks for? The body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Because without that, you have no hope. They call it the Eucharist. We call it communion or Lord's Supper. Communion means, and the Greek word means, what we share in common. Our common bond as believers in Jesus Christ, the body and the blood of Christ that makes us one. What's fascinating again about studying this in 1 Corinthians 11, that the focus of which Paul writes is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's not so much about the meeting. <coughs> it's the fact that they were supposed to be unified as the body of Christ, but they were not. Look at chapter 11. Look at the context. Verse 23. Let's start there. 11.23. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, I received from the Lord, obviously that's Jesus, that which I also delivered to you. Now, Russ reads this for us every month, or quotes it, you've heard it a million times, but I want you to see the context. So Paul says to them, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Now when Paul writes these words to the church at Corinth, the Gospels have not been written yet. Most theologians believe this is the oldest book in the New Testament. So, as Paul writes to the church at Corinth, they don't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that they're reading and seeing what went on. So Paul is saying to them, I got this first-hand account from Jesus Christ himself. That's pretty powerful. And so what, I want you to notice the poignancy of that first. Just understanding context for a moment. He says, I received from the Lord that on the same night in which he was betrayed. So not only did Jesus share with Paul this, he also talked to him about what Jews did. 
And we have to understand Jesus was not just God. Yes. He was 100% God. But he was also what? 100% man. And to think that someone who he had poured himself into for years, three years, who was that close, who seen him do all these incredible things and knew the love of God up close and personal, could betray him like that and to hurt him. He he loved Jesus. He knew what he was going to do. He loved him. Think about, we talk about, man, if I could just been today, if I could just been there with Jesus, I mean, I would not have been his right hand man, really. Where was Peter when he needed him? They let him down. Jesus, Peter, James, and John, his three closest friends on the planet, in the Garden of Gethsemane. The boys, I want to go over here. I'm paraphrasing. I'm sure you follow the boys. The boys, I want to go over here, and I'm going to pray. What I want you to do? Watch and pray. What do they do? Same thing we probably would have done. At least three times it was Jesus faithful. I'm going to paraphrase again. You can't even stay away. You're hurting. He loved those three guys, especially. They saw the transfiguration. They were allowed to see the Shekinah glory of God as much as they could stand. Those three guys got to see that. They couldn't stay away. Be there for Jesus. So Paul says, Jesus gave me this. So now he's writing, understand the context. He's writing to the church at Corinth. Now drop back to verse 17 for a moment and look at the church at Corinth. Verse 17. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. And when he's talking about coming together, it's they were coming together for what we would call potluck dinner. Have some friends at the apartment campus. They don't like to go to potluck dinner because they don't know where that was made. And one lady in particular, she passed away now, she went home. She wasn't worried about this anymore. But if we had a dinner at the church, even if it was made in our kitchen, unless she was the first one in line, she didn't eat. <laughs> she didn't know where that dinner was touched and she wasn't eating. It was hilarious. And we, we would always somebody would jump in front of our line to see what she would say. So he says to this church, and Carl. When you come together, they call them love feasts. Then we come together for the potluck fellowship dinner. We all know fellowship in Greek means what? Get together, get chicken. That's what it means. <laughs> most most theologians try to say it means sharing common. That's not what it means. It means get together, get chicken. We all know that. So they were coming together for their love feasts, where they would have a meal together, and at the end of the meal, what would they celebrate? The body and the blood of Jesus. So that's the context of which Paul is writing them. Now notice how they were coming together. Back to verse 18. The end of 17, you're coming for the worse, not the better. For first of all, this is my first complaint, Paul says, when you come together as a church, the group, as the body, you're coming together, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. But there must also be factions among you. You've got divisions, you've got factions. That those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not that eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the others. One is hungry, and another one is drunk. What? Notice the beginning of verse 22. There is an explanation point there. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? 
just the fact of coming together, I do not praise you. So here's the, the deal. They were having destructive, divisive divisions in the church. They were not unified. And the whole point of celebrating the Lord's Supper is that we are the body of Christ. And we're celebrating our Savior, his, his blood, his body, that we can be one. Yes, there, there are not things we're going to agree on. Actually, without going into, whatever the study is, without going into great detail, Paul is saying, you do need to have differences so you can see what is the truth and then focus on that. But not divisive divisions. In other words, you can disagree without being disagreeable and then focus on what's important, keep the main thing, the main thing. That's not what they were doing. They were dividing up earlier in the same book, Paul says to them, some of you say I'm following Paul. Some of you say I'm following Peter. Some of you say I'm following uh, Cephas, Cephas, Peter. Some of you say I'm following Paul. Some of you say I'm following Jesus. It doesn't matter who's going to plant, who water, who reap. It's all one, what he says to them. Yes, they, they were like, look who baptized me. Paul even got to the point he was so upset that he said, I wish I hadn't baptized anybody because he's throwing my name around. It's not about who baptized you. It's the fact of what happened when we might forget you baptized in the first place. They had divisive divisions. They were not unified. And these things were destructive in the church. And then again, they get to verse 21. They're coming to the church to party. It's, you're, you're eating. You're not worried about your neighbor. It's all about you. You're selfish. Self-centered. And some of you are even coming here and getting drunk. You know what he's saying? If you're coming to church to get drunk, do it at home. Exactly what he says. Don't come here to celebrate the Lord's Supper, the love feast, and get drunk and be selfish. Focus on why you're here. Now, listen to what he says to them. So when you come together, verse 20, again, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. It's about you. So he says, here's the deal. Now, here we're on your hand. Here's what I want you to remember, Paul says. I got this from Jesus firsthand. Remember, the gospel hadn't been written yet. So he says to them, when you come together to celebrate, I mean, say to us today, the Lord's Supper, when you come together to celebrate the Eucharist, when you come together to celebrate the Union, whatever you want to call it, number one, it is a special time and it is a time to remember. To never forget, to remember, number one, Jesus sacrifice. Look at verse 23. I received from the Lord that was also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. This is the upper room of the last supper. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. By the way, in the original language, the word broken is probably not there. The better translation is, This is my body, which is for you. The Bible tells us prophetically, not that Jesus' bones were broken. So even though symbolically it's fine, it's broken. In the sense of sacrifice, it's better to say, Thank you, this is my body, which is for you. Do this. Notice it's an active verb. Do this in remembrance of me. The first thing we need to remember is this sacrifice. We're going to put some stuff there on your handout for you. We're not going to go through all that. You just don't have time. You know it. You've seen it. But I want you just for a moment. One of the things I encourage you to do as a Christian, not only when we take the Lord's Supper, but on a regular basis, you need to just go back and read the gospel. The crucifixion account leading up to Jesus' death and meditate on those verses. Just for a moment, stop and read them. Put yourself at the foot of the cross and realize he was beaten for you. By the way, we're told in the Old Testament prophetically about the Messiah from prior to his crucifixion. He was beaten so severely that you could not recognize his countenance, his visage, as the Old Testament word. You couldn't recognize him. That's a pretty severe beating. Why did he allow that being? Meditate on that. Think about that sometimes. 
we do what we do. He was beaten beyond recognition. He was scourged. They just throw that word in scripture and tell us he was scourged. Sometimes they get a chance to Google scourge under the Roman Empire. It'll make you sick what he did to you. He beat you to the point, your Bible would rip you to the point until the cat and nine tails, with the shells and the rocks and the things every time to it. He beat you to the point that your Bible won't get where it's supposed to. But it's mere being. Or his face, his body, his body only were exposed, his face is beyond recognition. He was spit on. Now we're talking about the Son of God. He allowed all of this. He was mocked, spit on, they plucked his beard out. I tried to pluck one hair out of my nose and I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> now you got to know the size of mine, mine, that's a project. But I had one I couldn't get changed right here. I said, oh, I'm mad I am there at the world of Cleveland, and I'm there. Man, I'm, I'm sitting in tears coming out of my one hair out. They plucked his beard out. Think about that. How painful just that could have been. They stripped him naked, they cast lock for his clothes. And then, by the way, they crucified him. So they crucifixion. The most horrible way man has ever devised to kill another man. It took days. Trying to raise up this so he could breathe. The heart would literally explode. Why? We talked about this before. Why did God choose that form of death? For the Son of God, for the sins of the world? You would know how much you love me. We'll see that in a moment. You love you. Remember his sacrifice. When you read that bread, when you're just walking around every day doing what you do, just stop. You don't have to stop. Just as you're doing it, thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. You do that for him. I ain't sure you didn't deserve it. That's what, by the way, that's what grace is. He's dead for you. You didn't deserve it. Mercy is he didn't give you what you did deserve. Grace is he gave you something you don't deserve. That's the picture of the cross. Never forget what he went through. Remember. Look at verse 24, one more time. It says, take eat, this is my body, which is for you. Symbolism of the bread. When he was teaching them how to pray earlier, he talked about our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. The idea here is this is my body, which I'm giving to you, and every day as you live, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm there for you. I am your daily sustenance. I am your life. I am your savior. I am your God. They're celebrating. By the way, we'll talk about this in detail next week. It's fascinating. As Jesus is speaking these words, he tells Paul about it, but as he was speaking those words in the last room, they were eating the meal. What was the meal called? Passover. And you study the Passover meal, the significant element of it, we're going to talk about that next week in some detail, that as they celebrate this meal, Jesus is reminding them, this bread, I am the bread of life. He said that earlier. I am the Passover lamb. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Never forget, you saw, remember, they were all Jews. And as you as a Jew celebrate the festival of Passover, which had three feasts Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. As you celebrate all those great feasts, remember, I am the fulfillment of all of it. When the death angel passed over you in Egypt, I sinned. I am the Passover. I told Moses my name. Is I am. Do this. Eat the bread. Eat the Passover lamb totally, by the way. Go back to study Exodus when they were given the Passover lamb. They ate it at twilight. They ate it all, by the way. When was Jesus crucified? Twilight. How much did he give? Totally. See the symbolism? God doesn't do things haphazardly. God knows what he's doing when he gave it. And then he didn't see Jesus on the cross, even as he gave it to him. Jesus was wiping himself. He 
Remind me. You can't because God's ways are higher than you. It's all right. You're not God. What you do is you trust me. Remember his sacrifice. So he said, do this. Act it. You do it. You do something else. You don't just do it. You remember. And in verse 25, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, drink the cup in remembrance of me. You celebrate my body, you remember. You celebrate my blood because my blood is what allows your sin to be forgiven. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Your sins are forgiven because Jesus shed his blood. Go back and look at the Levitical priesthood and the sacrificial system and the significance of blood and the day of atonement. All of that. The tabernacle, even down to the color of the threads in the tent, was about Jesus. Everything. The light of the world, the red of light, look at the temple, look at the tabernacle. All the elements that are in there. All of them. Jesus then stands up on earth and says, I am that. I am that. I am that. I'm either crazy or I am that. He says, You do this. The new covenant. If you were a Jew, every guy in the room was a Jew. They understood covenant. It was everything to them. We call it the Old Testament. To them, it was the Old Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant. The Law. The Abrahamic Covenant. A solemn vow. The Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, is the blood of bulls and goats. We're going to see next week, Jesus is changing things right here. He's saying, hey boys, you call them boys all the time, apparently. Hey boys. <laughs> it's no longer about the blood of bulls and goats. It's no longer about going to the temple it's about a new covenant that Jeremiah told you he was going to break. I am that new covenant. Remember when he's hanging on the cross? He says it is finished. Debt paid in full. What happened to the temple at that moment? The veil was ripped in two, top to bottom, and the veil was a curtain that led the high priest going to the Holy of Holies. You think that was an accident? Of course not. With three hours of darkness, because Jesus takes you from darkness where? Light to the darkness of during darkness, but he rips access to God for everybody. He rips it open. It is finished. You go into the presence of God now, sitting in that crummy chair you're sitting in. Driving in your car, in your house, every waking moment, you're in the presence of God. You don't have to go to another human being. You don't have to go to a holy of holies. You don't have to have a high priest because Jesus is your high priest. Read the book of Hebrews. Jesus is your high priest, and you are a priest. He bought access to you. The temple was veil was ripped into. And he said it is finished. You know why he said it is finished? Because it is finished. He paid the debt. That's what it means. The debt is paid in full. Hebrews chapter 9, the Bible says this. Chapter 9 and chapter 10. It's not with the blood of goats and calves, old covenant, but with his own blood, he, Jesus, entered the most holy place. That's the holy of holies. Once for all, notice, once for all. Both aspects of that are true. He did it one time, but it didn't have to be repeated, and he did it for all time, but it didn't have to be repeated. He went once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. You read the book of Hebrews, the whole book is about, they had to go in there year after year after year because it was only temporary. And the high priest had to offer sacrifice for his own sins. Why? Because it was only temporary. And he was also a sinner. Jesus went once for all, and it was once was enough because he was not a sinner. He took all of our debt, took it to the holy place, sprinkled his blood on it, and it paid in full. 
You're not shouting in your being right now. There's something wrong with you. Jesus Christ bought your eternal redemption. That's what we celebrate. That's what we remember. And in Hebrews 10, the Bible says, By that will, God's will, Jesus' will, we have been sanctified and set apart unto God through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. And it's the same phrase again, same book, next chapter, once for all. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, says it again, same way, and he says the same thing in a different way, he sat down. At the right hand of God, for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Man, I just spent three years on those two verses. And I would have thought he know. <laughs> he offered it one time. And then he sat down. And I know I've said this before, but I think it's that code. In case you weren't here, and we forgot. When the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, once a year on the day of atonement, he went in. He tied the rope around his legs. So there was no place for him to sit down. In case God struck him dead, had to get out and drug him out. Nobody else was allowed in there to drug him out. He could not sit down because the work was never finished. That's two words in the book of Hebrews. It's scream fulfillment. Jesus sat down. Why did he sit down? Because he was finished. See the parallel? See how it died? He sat down because he didn't have to do it again. He sat down because he was finished. And notice where he sat down. At the right hand of God. Ooh, you better see the universe now. He sat down at the seat of authority, majesty, power, honor, and glory. He sat down at the right hand of God. Study the Bible. Read it. Every time God showed you his might, his power, his praise, his right hand. Right hand. Right hand. Jesus is at the right hand of God. Because he was finished. He conquered sin and death. That's what we remember. Remember Jesus' sacrifice. Secondly, you need to remember Jesus' choices. Remember his choices. Earlier in his ministry, in John chapter 10, that great chapter we studied last year on sheep and shepherd, Jesus said these words. I lay down my life. I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. Please don't. Miss that or forget that. Meditating on scripture is a wonderful thing. What a great way to pray. Just pray the scripture back to God. You know what Jesus was telling them? As he said in another place, you destroy this body and in three days, what? I will raise it up. You destroy it. And then John said, Is that way he was talking about his body? He said in John 10, I lay down my life. Voluntarily, willingly, by my own choice, I lay it down. I have the power to do so, but also the power to what? Take it back again. I die for you, and I come back from the dead for you. I have the power to do that. I willingly choose to do that. For God so loved the world. God so loved you. Jesus chose to do it. In 1 John chapter 4, John says, writes these words. Remember Jesus' choices, and then remember his love. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We also want to lay down our lives for the brethren. 
And thus the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sin. The word propitiation means satisfaction of judgment. So you see right there that, that simple little passage. We know love. Love was manifested for us. And this is how you know it. It's how it's manifested. God sent Jesus. God sent Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, the Bible said, Being found in the appearance of a man, Jesus humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He humbled himself. Nobody made him do it. He chose to be crucified. Nobody made him go through that horrific way of dying. He chose to do it because it was the Father's will. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Bible says, I love this verse, says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he's God, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He willingly became a man. He willingly was a poor itinerant carpenter. And you really people that preach that Jesus is filthy rich, they can't read. I don't care how many degrees they got, I don't care how big the ministry is, I don't care how many people they got following there. If they tell you Jesus was filthy rich, they can't read. He was a poor, itinerant part. He was from Nazareth, for God's sake. You know who was from Nazareth? The Bible tells you. What do they think about people from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? He was a nobody. In the eyes of the world, he created the world, however. Really, he was willing, he gave up his riches to become poverty for us, that we might become rich through him. It has nothing to do with money or material things. It has to do with who you are, what your life is about. Thinking about Jesus' love, the Apostle Paul said this, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and did what? Gave himself for me. So communion is a time to remember. I go back to our text and look at verse 27. But it's also a time to examine. It's a time to examine. Remember the context. Paul wanted this church at Corinth to stop coming together in their love feast in a selfish disunity. They wanted them, they wanted them to come together as one. To do what was right for the kingdom. He wanted them to examine themselves in light of Jesus' sacrifice, his love, his choices for them to stop and examine themselves. So look at verse 27. Therefore, whoever drinks the bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Well, he says, here's how you examine yourself. You don't come in here and celebrate in an unworthy manner. The context, don't be unselfish, don't be selfish, don't be uncaring, don't be indifferent toward the needs of others. Don't be careless about your life and pride. Take it seriously. Don't let it be. When I was growing up, this is what it was for me. I went to the church I went to, we took communion on a regular basis. You know what it was for me? It would be a little great for me today. I didn't know what we were doing. Nobody ever told me what we were doing. Now I wasn't a Christian, but I was at church all the time, and we did it on a regular basis. I had no idea what we were doing. My mom and dad, my dad 
Again, depending on tradition and background, some people think that's how you're getting saved. That's how you're getting grace. Some people are just, you got, you got to do it. That's what you do in church. You can do it. That's how what Jesus said. Remember. Remember. And then examine yourself. Don't let it be an empty ritual. What it's supposed to be is a celebration. As the body of Christ, we celebrate the blood and the body of Jesus that allows us to be the body of Christ. Without it, we don't have anything. That's what we're celebrating. So what he's saying is, examine yourself. Verse 28. Let a man examine himself. And that means qualify. Here's the idea. Be real. Be honest. God knows your sins, by the way. And you don't know that. He is omniscient. His Latin for He knows everything about you, dude. Don't do that. So don't try to ignore your sin. He knows about it. Why are you trying to hide from God? You can hide it from your wife or your friends or your parents. You're not hiding it from God. So what? Examine yourself. Be honest. Be real. Don't ignore them. God wants you to look at them. Then what he wants you to do is to admit them. And you're examining yourself. That's what confession is. By the word confession means to agree. How much about you does God know? How much about your sin does he know? So when you confess your sins, it, all you're doing is saying, you're right, God. You're right, God. You're right, God. Yeah, yeah you got that right, too. Yeah, I know I did that. You're right. That's why you have the Holy Spirit. Conviction. The Word of God convicts you. Sometimes in relationships, you're convicted. God knows. He wants you to be honest and know it, acknowledge it to him. Confess it. Confess it. Examine it. Don't ignore it. Admit it, and then repent of it. Confession needs repentance. Be discerning. Look at verse 29. He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. He wants you to be discerning. So here's what he wants you to do. Examine yourself in three ways. Number one, examine your relationship to God, with Jesus. Just be honest. If you don't, I would rather have, and I used to tell teenagers this all the time, I told my own children this, I told my friends this, I'd rather somebody look me in the eye and say, I don't believe in God, than to tell me, yeah, I'm right there with you. Don't lie to me. What difference does it make you lie to me? You can't. If you're lying to me, who you're also lying to? God ain't yourself. I'd rather somebody tell me, I am, and I don't believe in God, than the Bible good. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Not tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what you believe. God wants you to examine yourself. Am I really in a relationship with Jesus Christ? Am I a Christ? If you're not, that's fine. Why not? Then talk about it. Discuss it. Care about each other. Well, first thing you do is examine your relationship with Jesus. Am I born again? Am I a Christ follower? Or am I just doing church with my wife wants me to? Or Kids want me to do it. I think, like last Sunday, I, I think I better go to church this Easter. I guess I'll go once. Why? I would go, then I would go, why do you go to Easter if you don't go to the other kids? Now that's beginning to change, I think. Now you just don't go at all. Examine yourself. Number one, your relationship. Number two, your fellowship with Jesus. Let's say you are born again, and I know most of you are. You would say that you're a Christian. Okay, 
gotta deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You really live by that? You gotta deny yourself and be willing to die for me. And then come on. You're on the table. And that culture that day, when he said, take up your cross and follow me, you know where they were headed? You're crucified. You know what happened? You're crucified, you die. You die horribly. Jesus said, Are you serious? The Bible by the way, when he said that, the very next verse of the Bible says, from that moment forward, most followed him no more. Because he up he up the ante and said, Well, I'm not missing anything, I'm out. We want Jesus, well, because here, particularly in the United States, we like Jesus as long as he's doing what I want him to do. And he's giving to me, and, and you know, he, he's my cosmic guinea. I'm cool with that. But don't ask me to sacrifice. Don't ask me to give. Don't ask me, whoa, come on, Jesus. I can go, there's a church that road. I know I can find one that's going to make it feel good. That's really what I want. If you're, if you're a Christ follower, what you want is the will of God. What you want is to be what God wants you to be. So it starts out in a relationship, then it's in fellowship. What we share in common, that's the whole idea of what's up the unity, sharing in common. Am I in harmony and fellowship with my Savior? By the way, you're not perfect. I hope you don't, hope you don't believe you are. If you don't think you're, if you do think you're perfect, then let me speak to your spouse. <laughs> or your children. Or your parents. Or one person that knows you. Just one. You're not perfect. You know what? Nobody else is either. That's the whole point. Examine your relationship. Yours, not the person next to you. Examine your fellowship. Yours, not the person next to you. Jesus told them, remember Peter and John, this was after he rose from the dead in that great time he was with them. And one said, hey, what about these people? What about him? It's, it's incredible. Even at that moment, they said, hey, Jesus, what about him? And they get your mom's involved. Hey, can I sit in your right hand? Get your mama out of here. <laughs> I'm translating for Jesus. <laughs> I know he needs my help. Look, you know what he said? You quit worrying about Peter and John. You quit worrying about each other. And take care of you. Examine your fellowship, not somebody else's. Am I in love with Jesus? Do I want to please him? Do I want to be what he wants me to be? Not do I want to be what Chad Stewart needs to be. Chad Stewart needs to be what Jesus wants him to be. Randy needs to be what Jesus wants Randy to be. Examine your relationship and fellowship. And probably the third one that's really cool is your identification. Your identification. Someone asks you, are you a Christian? You're going to say yes. That means it. It's like if someone would ask you today, are you a Grizzlies fan? You're going to say, Woo! I had a great game last night. And it was a great game. It was fun to watch. It's exciting. Why is it we have such a hard time getting our love for Jesus from here to there? Do you have to be crazy to talk about it? Shouldn't it be something you want people to know? Shouldn't you be proud in a good sense of the fact you're born again? Your identification, I am a Christian. The early church was they died for it. They were martyrs for their faith. There are believers on our planet today. If they convert from Islam to Christianity, there's a death sentence put on them and their family at that moment. That's identification. We don't suffer in the United States. We just got to rock along. We're persecuted in some way. What's my identification of my Happy? Thrilled for people to know that I'm a Christian? Is it important for me for people to know? Do I want other people to know? Am 
identification. So verse 26, the third thing. Finally. Communion is a time to proclaim. I love this verse. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Notice the importance. What this is then you take it from here, what do you do? Number one, obviously we want to remember all the time. All the time. To proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Number one, to proclaim the Lord's death and his resurrection. Because if he just died and he didn't rise from the dead, we'd be talking about it. Not like we do now. He's just in another religion. No. He's going to God. But he goes to the dead. A huge difference. There have been a lot of religious leaders, a lot of great men, a lot of great women, a lot of people founded religions. They didn't come back from the dead. They weren't the perfect sinless sacrifice. Jesus is unique because he's God. So we, when we celebrate his body and his blood, we're celebrating the daily bread, life sanctification, and we're also celebrating the blood, justification, that I'm born again, that I belong to God, that I'm a Christian. He died, but he rose from the dead. So we proclaim it unashamedly. People say, well, you're a nut. Well, let's talk about why I'm a nut. Why you're not a nut. I'm talking to somebody this week. That's how it came out. I was earlier. He said, I don't believe all that. And I said, well, tell me where you came from. He said, I believe in evolution. I said, do you really? Then you're a nut. You think I'm a nut. You believe in evolution. You are a nut. And I can prove that to you. You may not believe the Bible. That's fine. But you can't believe that. Not, not be intelligent. Your identification. Who you are. This is our permission. What did Jesus tell us to do? Go into all the world and make disciples of me. You teach them what I taught you. Here's why it's important. Jesus, in proclaiming his death, his resurrection, his return, his significance. Why is this important? Why is it so significant? Because only Jesus Christ came and died for our sins and rose from the dead and answered the great questions of life. Read, my father-in-law taught me this years ago. I think I was still in, dating his daughter in high school, maybe up in college. I don't know. Sometime when I was a young man, my father-in-law told me, he said, Randy, if you ever got to speak somewhere and you don't have anything to speak of, we call it in the business shaking day. You don't know what you're going to talk on that day. He said, oh, you can always go to your A game, and here it is. You can call it A game. He said, you can always go to this. Ask them, who am I? Where did I come from? And where am I going? Because every human being on the planet wonders those questions. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? It's important. Where am I going? Because Jesus answers all those questions there. He answers every one of them. He tells you who you are. You go back to prior you or go back before you and your mother's blue. He tells you why you're here. You're here to glorify God. He tells you where you're going. You're going to heaven, you're going to heaven, you're going somewhere. He answers all those questions. But he also wants you to kick it out. Hell, into the darkness, the light. As we prepare to share the Lord's Supper, I want to share a quick story with you. And bless the love of the Lord. Share more of something. 
Most of you know who Tom Brady is. If you don't know who Tom Brady is, I don't play in the United States. Tom Brady is that guy who has everything. He's tall, he's good looking, he's got a supermodel for a wife, he got more money than he ever had, and he's won five Super Bowls as a quarterback. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. After he won his third Super Bowl, Tom Brady was being interviewed over 60 minutes. They asked him a question. Or well, we said this in the interview. Excuse me. 60 minutes after his third. Now it's five. He's a question or his. I'm sorry. He said this. Tom Brady said, quote, Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and I still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of, a lot of people would say, Hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me? I think, God, it's, there's got to be more than this. I mean, this is a, this can't be what it's all it's cracked up to be. End quote. If you look at Tom Brady, again, you don't know who he is, go Google it. Go Google it what? You look at Tom Brady, you look at his bank account, you're gonna think, that dude looks like What did he say? Then I, some of you may not know who Tony Dungy is. Tony Dungy, many of you do, he was Tony Dungy was the first African American coach to win the Super Bowl. He's a devout believer in Jesus Christ. He's still on NBC doing, doing football stuff now. This is what Tony Dungeon said in his book, Quiet Strengths, the name of the book. He won the Super Bowl with the Indianapolis Coast in 2007. He said, quote, the Super Bowl is great. It's not the greatest thing. My focus over the two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl was Matthew 16, 26, in which Jesus asked, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Our guys who gain all the accolades and success of this world yet lose touch with their priorities and principles and the God of us. Now, which one had a better perspective on life? Tom Brady or Tony Dunn? What, what was different about Tony Dunn's perspective? He knows Jesus. He knows Jesus. And he's not ashamed to admit it. Say, communion's a time to remember. Remember. Examine. In your heart, even as we take the elements today, and you look like bow your head. Bow your head right there where you are. That's your little altar, you and God, nobody else. We're getting ready to go into a time where we're going to celebrate the communion. I hope today maybe it's a little more meaningful to you than it was the last time you did. I hope so. If it, it even helps me, I've been doing this for 33 years, I've been a Christian 47 years, been taking communion. And understanding the body and the blood for a long time. And it helps sometimes just to be reminded. Well, as you sit here, you're going to have, unless we're going to instruct you, you're going to have elements of the blood and the body. And I just want you to talk to God. Examine your relationship, your fellowship, your identification. Maybe God will prompt you that when this is all said and done, there's some things you need to do in your life. Confessing your sin, maybe somebody you need to straighten things out with. That's fine. Just deal with God here, deal with them later. So be honest with God. We're going to have music playing, the elements are going to pass. You take them, we'll share with you how we're going to do that. It's all over. We're going to have another song. If you'd like me to pray with you here in that latter song, I'll be down here. At the end, we'll pray together. Do not have to be a member of Christ Church or even attend here to celebrate the Lord's Supper. If you're a Christian, celebrate this. This is something the Lord's Supper.
Father, we thank you for Jesus. His body, his blood, we commit this time to you.